with your host, Latrice Ferguson. Welcome to Interruptions. This is a podcast that the Workplace Learning Professional Development team um, tends to talk about issues. So there's been times where we thought this podcast could be called Rabbit Hole because we tend to go down lots of rabbit holes with lots of different conversations. Mm -hmm. But then we landed on the name Interruptions. Why Interruptions, you might ask? Because we think the magic happens in an interruption. So you're going about your day-to-day life. You're going about whatever is happening for you, and then something goes wrong. That is the moment. If you have the tools and the interruption where the magic can happen. So I'm Latrice Ferguson, and I'm here with my colleague, Rachel Watts. Hello. And two other very special guests who I will remain anonymous. Why don't y'all say hi? I won't even say your names. Should we introduce ourselves? No, just say hi. Oh, hi. Hi. Can you guys guess on the radio or on the podcast who these people are? I won't make you guess. We have <laughs> two wonderful guests. You guys can introduce yourselves. I'm Abby Parsons. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I'm director of the LGBTQIA Resource Center at Georgia Tech. Hi, I'm Melanie DeMare. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I'm the assistant director of the Women's Resource Center at Georgia Tech. Okay, before I turn it over to Rachel, I have a question. Okay. This whole pronouns thing, mm-hmm. can y'all break that down? Like, help me understand, when did it become vogue mm-hmm. to have pronouns and explain what they are, and why do we do that? Good question. Yeah, absolutely. So... Um, Part of creating an environment that is inclusive of transgender and gender nonconforming people is using the identifiers for them that they want you to use. Um, So for transgender people, and for anyone really, you can't tell how somebody identifies just by looking at them. You can't tell their gender identity. You can't tell how they, um, you know, what they call themselves. You can't, uh, or what pronouns they use. And so by including a simple um, practice of introducing yourself with your pronouns, you're creating an environment where other folks will share their pronouns. um, And it helps trans people or gender nonconforming people or anyone really to be able to state how they want to be identified. So rather than us make assumptions about how what we should call somebody, we're asking them, we're inviting them into a space where they can share that information. And it's just a good practice of uh, creating inclusion for trans folks. We also have our pronouns on our business cards and in our email signatures as well. Uh, I make a point to do it whenever I'm introducing myself at a meeting. And usually if I am chairing a meeting, I'll also ask everybody present to share their pronouns as well. Do you feel like it, it causes, well, I feel like it causes a little bit of pressure for like what if I forget or what if I get it wrong or what if I like mess up and they've already said it and like it's this big deal and then I forget and I say something wrong do you find people have conversations about it or do you just I think it depends on the environment usually if somebody forgets to mention their pronouns I might give them a nudge you know and say oh and don't forget you know what pronouns do you use um or we might just move on with the meeting. But usually if I'm chairing a meeting um, or if I go first in a meeting, I'll always make sure to kind of set that standard. And if I'm with folks that might not be familiar with the practice, I'll explain it as well. Um, but I find that we cover all this information in safe space trainings that my office does. But we really want to normalize the practice and just get people, it feels a little uncomfortable, a little awkward if you're not used to doing it. But the more you do it, um, the more natural it becomes to include it as a, as a normal part of your introduction. Gotcha. If somebody introduces themselves with their pronouns and you forget what their pronouns are and make... Is that what you were asking about? Well, yeah, because 
I know Abby just very articulately, is that a word? Articulately, <laughs> um, explained it, but then like my eyes and my brain are trained in one way, right? right? And so while I want to be sensitive and mm-hmm. I want to be inclusive, mm-hmm. I'm not used to it. Right. So then if I say something wrong or I make a mistake, then mm-hmm. I feel horrible about it. And I'm yeah. just like, how do I correct it? What do I do? Mm-hmm. And I oftentimes don't have anybody to ask because I don't want to in- offend even more. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's always value in recognizing that we have to give ourselves grace and give others grace, right? And, and, and I think if you realize you've made a mistake, you know, if you accidentally mispronoun or misgender someone to say, you know what, I'm really sorry. I've forgotten what pronouns you told me you use. Can you tell me again? Or, oh, I do remember what pronouns you use. I've used the wrong pronouns. I'm very sorry. Mm-hmm. I won't do that again. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's just acknowledging mm-hmm. that mistake can go. I mean, it's going to be awkward. Right. But you just kind of lean into that awkward moment mm-hmm. and, yeah. <laughs> um, and say, you know, you're a human and I'm a human and I want to I want to honor your experience the best that I can. Because it's more awkward than if you see that person later mm-hmm. and you haven't corrected yourself. Right. OK, well, I'm the Trace Ferguson <laughs> and my pronouns are she, her and hers. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for sharing those. You're welcome. And I think like any kind of inclusive practice, it takes practice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think probably we'll get to some of that today mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, one thing I'd like to say, if, if you don't mind, to put my two cents in there. And again, I'm Rachel Watts, she, her, and hers, uh, is that... She's a sexy radio <laughs> <laughs> I have a voice for all occasions. <laughs> it's my radio voice. Anyway, so it, it actually magnifies what we usually consider as normal. You said it normalizes the conversation, but it kind of disrupts normalcy and pulls into question of what we take for granted, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is powerful Yeah, just by that simple act. Yeah. I mean, for those act. of us who, you know, use pronouns that kind of align with the way that we look and the way that society expects, we take for granted that people are going to get our pronouns right. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But for a lot of folks, that's not the case. And we want to make sure we're creating an environment for them as well. Very cool. So, yeah, we talked about inclusivity, and that's actually uh, what we're hoping to talk about today. Um, it, it seems like there's this uh, large push for workplace inclusivity. But what does that mean? How do you define inclusivity? So I think inclusivity is about creating access, right, for folks and making sure that they feel valued and respected. Um, and I think inclusivity is part is part of the way there, right? It's not necessarily all the way there, but it's a step sometimes in the right direction if it actually... Um, creates creates change or creates movement towards policy and practices that get us to a place where folks have equitable access and and at the end of the day justice right for their experiences and their lives Uh, what is the difference between diversity and inclusion yeah I think you know diversity has been um, the word that was used for such a long time Um, when Really, I think now we're starting to realize that the term diversity has been watered down a lot and really doesn't go far enough. Um, so diversity is about asking, you know, how many people of a particular group are present in the space. Um, so in Georgia Tech, for example, we really champion um, the number of women that we admit um, in terms of our undergraduate student population. Um, we look at the number of women faculty as a marker of 
how diverse we are and how well we are doing at being diverse. Um, same with students of color, for example. So you'll notice that you know we have a lot of demographic breakdowns that we really kind of celebrate as an institution as a mark of our of our progress. Um, but diversity really doesn't go far enough. And the question that I'm always asking is, it's great that we have more people who fit in whatever, you know, underrepresented category. Um, but what is the experience like for those people once they're here? Once they're here, can they access everything on campus? Um, do they feel included? Do they feel safe on campus? So mm -hmm. diversity, I think, is um, it's a step in the right direction, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's about are we creating access for more people from particular underrepresented groups? But inclusion takes it a little step further and looks at do those people feel included once they're on campus? Um, and that's for employees and students alike. I think that inclusion and inclusivity also don't really go far enough because they don't really get into um, talking about institutional change and transformation. Would you say uh, it's a crock? Um, <laughs> I, I may have used that word. <laughs> I may have used that word. I think that with any word that you use a lot, it's become a buzzword. To now where it's kind of meaningless. Yeah. We're talking about diversity and inclusion, but um, I think, you know, you asked, like, you asked Melanie and I, like, what does mm -hmm. that mean? And I think we're kind of like, well, I don't know. What does it, you know, what does it mean, right? There mm -hmm. are, um, you know, we have the word inclusion a lot in different mm -hmm. mission statements or, or mm -hmm. um, you know, strategic plans and things like that. Um, but what does it really mean? And I think Melanie really hit the nail on the head with the word access. Um, it's about who has access to what spaces, to what resources. Um, you can have, um, you know, more black students in a classroom, mm -hmm. but you know, when they try and contribute to a class discussion, are their views delegitimized because, mm -hmm. you know, white students in the room don't feel that, you know, mm -hmm. black students, you know, deserve to have a space there or that they can possibly know about this topic? You know, so do they marginalize them further once they're in the space? And, like, does inclusion and the way that we define inclusion create neutrality? Um, mm -hmm. Because sometimes there can't be neutrality, right? There's mm -hmm. no... There, it, Neutrality doesn't move us forward in terms of thinking about actual access and actual the pieces that Abby's talking about in terms of thinking about are those voices heard? Are they valued? Not just are they in the room, right? Mm -hmm. if, if inclusion is about access, it's are they in the room? Is everybody's voice equally heard in the room? Um, and sometimes, yeah, so you hear my voice, right? Latrice hears my voice. Latrice speaks in the room. You know, we all have the same airspace, mm -hmm. but is my opinion valued over somebody else's opinion because I show up as a white cis woman, um, you know, from a middle class background, right? Mm -hmm. And I show up in a way that feels less threatening than somebody who might have a different background from me, um, regard, you know, whatever those backgrounds might be, whatever those identities might be. And so I think that's where inclusiveness or inclusivity falls short, right? We talk about inclusive excellence a lot here, and I think Abby said, you know, basically mm -hmm. we've lost kind of a meaning for what that means because often inclusion, in the same way that gender and sex are often used interchangeably, inclusion and inclusivity and diversity are often used mm -hmm. interchangeably. And when we think about the trajectory in higher ed, we started talking about diversity, and then we started talking about inclusivity. Um, and those of us who do the work that Abby and I are doing are now really pushing for conversations about justice and equity. Um, so how do we take it to the next step in higher education um, as folks who train citizens of the world, right? And what does that look like?
for Gra- us here. Graduating good global citizens. Right, yeah. Yeah, there, I recently read an article in, from Inside Higher Education that pretty much argued that diversity and inclusion is just a notion of politics of appeasement. Mm-hmm. Would you say that's the crock right there? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what does that even mean? The politics of appeasement? Okay, good question. Yeah. yeah I, so I'm, I've read this article also, and, and in it the author talks about how we kind of make these sort of empty gestures towards diversity and inclusion. Um for example, a big one is celebrating diversity, right? So that's where we really promote, you know, and we're very focused when we, this is the other thing I think, we're very focused on race and gender. Mm-hmm. And we mm-hmm. totally disregard class, nationality, faith, mm-hmm. um, disability, um, sexual orientation. All of those things kind of get lost in, in diversity when we're, we really tend to focus on, on race and gender. Um, and so... Uh, here at Tech, um, you know, we're, we're all about celebrating the fact that we raise the number, we increase the number of female students that we have admitted. Um, we have increased the number of students of color, uh, and so celebrating diversity is also about things like, you know, um, we're going to do a spotlight on women and celebrate women, but it doesn't really interrogate institutionalized sexism, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't really get to the fact that. There are women on campus who are dissatisfied with the fact that their male colleagues get taken more seriously, might get more opportunities, get given more credit um, for work that maybe um, women are, are doing in the department. But women are having a harder time making it to management positions. And if they do, they're still treated less equitably than male counterparts. So a politics of appeasement really um, kind of focuses on um, celebrating things that are important, but only focusing on those things and saying because we have these great things here you should all be happy and not really complain about the fact that circumstances are not great in other areas it's those landmark achievements that are important to celebrate right but without the underpinnings or understandings of systems of power and oppression and the ways in which the folks who got to that place kind of without acknowledging it in a real way we say oh you know, this person was the first person to do X, Y, and Z. They're so accomplished and they're so amazing. But what we don't acknowledge often is all of the crap they had to go through, you know, all of the sludge mm-hmm. they had to dig through to get to that place. And they worked 10 times harder or 100 times harder mm-hmm. to get there. And so, and without acknowledging our own role in the barriers. Um, that our policies and practices create for those folks. Mm -hmm. That's why I almost, um, I know that people who are into this work are ready to move to the social injustice Mm -hmm. piece and inclusion Mm -hmm. piece, but I still feel like there's some, like, preliminary numbers work that Mm -hmm. just still needs to be done, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so if I look at, I am an African-American woman, you can't see me in the podcast, But I am, and if I look at the cabinet of the president, if I look at Mm -hmm. the most senior ranks in our institution, I don't see myself. Mm -hmm. And so then I'm often grappling with, do I want to just see myself in a dimension that is recognizable by my eyes, Mm -hmm. or am I forced to try to make a connection that really, I mean, truthfully, I don't believe is there. Mm -hmm. And so I fear like we're moving to this deeper place Mm -hmm. 
But at the end of the day, the people who are having the deeper conversation, there's still a missing voice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Several missing yeah. voices. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, so I think for the numbers piece, I think that transformational change, institutional transformation, sorry, comes from, and there's, it's multi-layered. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's one approach. I think numbers are an important part of it. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. I think, you know, I look at the president's cabinet and I'm like, I don't see people of color. I don't see women. Um, I don't see anyone that's visibly gender non-conforming. Um, mm -hmm. I don't see anyone with a visible disability, you know? And so, um, I think, numbers are important I think that's a piece of the puzzle mm -hmm. I think that sometimes where we fall short is we stop at the numbers mm -hmm. um, and say you know we checked that box we, we accomplished that it's time to you know but like I'm our saying job here we is haven't done. accomplished it right. Right. so if we haven't accomplished that mm -hmm. then if those are the people who are making these decisions and mm -hmm. you know tasked mm -hmm. with having these conversations there's there's a missing piece that, like how can you do that it's like putting out that I don't know. There's so many different things that happen in the world, right? There's this company called Shea Moisture. They put out a advertisement, and it it was just totally off putting. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, if there was one yeah. black person in the room, somebody would have said, um, yeah. yeah, did you think about this? Or if there was one person with a disability in the room, somebody right. mm -hmm. would have said that. And so I, I fear, like, going deeper in these things. Mm -hmm. Not that we shouldn't, mm -hmm. but are the right people having the right conversations mm -hmm. to even then try to affect the change that we want to see happen. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's why mm -hmm. we don't make as much progress as mm -hmm. we would want. And I think that's, you know, that's a really excellent point. I think, you know, this yeah. year, for example, we had um, both of the commencement speakers uh, had terrible track records with LGBT legislation. Um, they had both, um, in their respective political roles, done actual harm to LGBT people through the legislation that they had, enact, they had enacted. And all I could think was, were there queer people sitting around choosing the commencement <clears throat> speakers? Was anyone asking for that input? Um, was anyone saying, let's check the, the track records and the backgrounds of these folks mm -hmm. to see, you know, if they would be, you know, if they're suitable, are they truly inclusive? Mm -hmm. um, and if we as an institute are practicing inclusive excellence, that has to mean interrogating every single decision mm -hmm. that we make. Mm -hmm. um, when I'm putting together, a, let's say, a panel, I'm looking at who is represented on this panel, who needs to be here, um, you know, and how can I make sure that, um, you know, it's not the same voices that we're always hearing. How can I make sure that folks who are underrepresented that might not normally get a platform, mm -hmm. how can I make sure that they have a voice in this? Right. How do we create that interruption? Yes. Right. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. I know we talk about representation, especially who's in the room and the voice is heard, but is that realistic? Is that realistic to represent, have representation for everyone? I mean, I think that I don't, I don't see where there's harm in creating space for more people at the table. And... I get that that is sometimes more challenging. You know, I get that that expands the group of people at the table whose voices are going to want to weigh in and want their voices heard. But I also think that we live in an increasingly diverse 
country, <laughs> um, right? Like I, we're, our demographics are constantly shifting and changing. Folks, our understanding of people's mm -hmm. personal identities and the way those personal identities intersect and impact their ability to succeed or impact their professional careers or their personal lives, right? Those are really valid experiences. And I think if I'm in a room and I'm thinking about, okay, who's sitting at this table, sometimes my role is to say, there are a lot of white folks at this table, and there are other white women, and maybe these other white women come with other identities that I don't come with, and there's an opportunity for me to step back from this space and create space for somebody else, right? Um, you know, and, and not to, you know, I don't think it has to be the same voices all the time, because then I think we run into tokenizing folks and saying, you know, right. this person is going to be mm -hmm. the person who speaks for, you know, uh, socioeconomically disadvantaged folks. And this person is going to be the, you know, Abby's going to be the professional gay on campus <laughs> and she's going to talk about, you know, all queer issues on campus. And certainly that's Abby's role on campus professionally, but like her experiences are not the same um, as other folks' experiences, you know, who are also queer on this campus and so you know giving folks recognizing your own power and privilege in the space I think can also create the opportunities for those numbers to expand and grow and the voices to expand and grow and give us an opportunity to kind of see that diversity in action um, I don't know that I mean it's not always easy and but it, and it requires effort yeah. but that doesn't mean that we should not do it because right it requires more effort but does it kind of remove responsibility of from people of not being able to think outside of their own privilege of thinking outside of their own standpoint Instead, I, I know you said we don't want to tokenize people, but in, in a way, if we have, okay, we have everybody represented in this room, I don't need to speak to that because Latrice is going to speak to that experience or Abby's going to speak to that experience. Well, and then I think those of us who have a lot of privilege or whose voices get heard a lot, mm -hmm. our responsibility is then to go and learn. Right? <laughs> I don't mean to say, you know, walk up to somebody who's different from you on campus and say, tell me about your experience, <laughs> right? I don't, I, that's not right um, for a variety of reasons. But I do mean that there are lots and lots of trainings that happen on this campus, right? And lots and lots of um, access to education and knowledge that we can procure for ourselves and learn. And so I think there's a piece that we haven't talked about, which is to be intellectually and personally curious about the people around us and their experiences and the ways in which our experiences and our access to power and privilege might impact their experiences and their lack of access or their access to power and privilege. Mm. Um, I think that's the rub for me because I was looking at this, there's this in this article, and we'll link the article in the podcast, but it talks about ways you're supposed to approach workplace inclusivity strategy. And I was like kind of going down the list and thinking mm -hmm. about where places here at Georgia Tech we are excelling. Mm -hmm. And I think what you were saying, Melanie, is that we have lots of trainings mm -hmm. and events and all kinds of mm -hmm. things to help people learn and get curious, yet our senior most ranks still look the way that it does. Mm -hmm. So are we shooting our resources in the right direction. Sometimes we're preaching to the choir, so to speak. Yeah. I, you know, and I have certainly found that, you know, I see a lot of familiar faces at my events, mm -hmm. you know. Um, that number is growing. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, yeah, I, I, I think that, especially on a, one of the challenges, I mean, there are 
some of the challenges are in terms of um, like practical elements. Like we were on a really big campus. Mm -hmm. It's really, really mm -hmm. hard to reach a lot of people, right? The amount of people that say, I don't read the Daily Digest, right? And I'm like, well, I put this thing in that you really have to read. So please read the Daily Digest. Um, you know, and like I have found that, you know, I have to go that extra mile to send out the same message 10, 15 different ways, mm -hmm. right? So it doesn't just go out on my listserv, but I'm like, oh, you know, it goes out, oh, I can send it to this person. I can connect it to these, these people. Um, and there, there's a, you know, so to be able to kind of do that work and to make sure that it's truly um, kind of spreading around campus, it takes a lot of effort. Mm -hmm. um, I find that also sometimes when we do diversity work on this campus, it's very siloed. So every now and again, I'll hear about some LGBT event that's going on on campus that no one's told me about, asked me about. And I'm like, that's great, but if we had connected, we could have mm -hmm. shared resources. I could have told you, hey, don't do that because I'm already doing that. Mm -hmm. um, so we're not reinventing the wheel. And so that's something that we kind of struggle with as well in terms of our messaging is that having kind of a, um, a comprehensive, cohesive messaging is very hard when everyone is kind of working in their own little area. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that... Um, I'm fortunate in that my office is split between both the Division of Student Life and Institute Diversity, and that helps maximize my reach mm -hmm. quite a lot. Um, but I know it's something that, that, you know, every now and again, someone, a student or employee will come to see me. Um, oh, yeah, I really need to come talk to you about this personal issue that I'm having. I didn't even know this office was here. How long has it been here? Is it new? And I say, no, it's been here three years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, where have you been? Um, but I think that speaks to how hard it is to create mm -hmm. institutional transformation mm -hmm. when... If, when we are so spread out, um, when everyone is so focused on their own work, mm -hmm. when people don't know about the resources available to them on campus, it does make it hard to kind of to create culture shift mm -hmm. um, when there are so many cultures on campus. The other thing that the article said, too, was about setting goals. Like, I can definitely say that when I first came to Georgia Tech, mm -hmm. they weren't admitting as many women. I mm -hmm. feel like they made a goal. They decided that mm -hmm. that is what we want to do. And because they were intentional about it, we have now seen upticks and we can celebrate mm -hmm. that. So I think that's one place, too, where you see intentionality does mm -hmm. really and truthfully focus people in one direction and yeah. bring something. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think we're doing some work that is getting at diversity numbers, right? And, and some of this um, article from Inside Higher Ed, where um, the author talks about cluster hires, right? That's that's where we are right now mm -hmm. for our faculty is we're doing cluster hires, right? And so um, I think Ivan Allen just did or is in the process of doing a cluster hire of black media scholars, right, to increase the number of um, black liberal arts professors on our campus, mm -hmm. which is great. It's wonderful for our students. Our students are pumped about it, right? And it changes our dialogue around our academics, right, and what our needs are and... And starts to kind of push the needle and move the needle a little bit further. I think the question then becomes, how do we make sure that the environment for those folks who come onto campus is one that supports their research, mm -hmm. um, recognizes their research is valid, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, make sure that they get tenure, right? right. Um, and so it's, it's starting there in, like, little bitty pieces. Um, and you're right, Latrice, in thinking about, you know, it's hard to think about radical institutional change when you look up and you can't see anybody who looks like you mm -hmm. you know that like it does some of that does start at the top yeah. right and I think about I was sitting here thinking about how we talk about 
mentorship versus sponsorship when we think about women, right, and, mm-hmm. and their upward career mobility. And I hear a lot of times when I go to things, you don't need a mentor, you need a sponsor. Um, and so I think it's thinking about how do we create sponsorship at the uppermost levels of our institution to say, you know, um, this is an issue that's really, really important, whatever that issue might be, right, uh, identity or access or equity. Um and I'm this person who has a lot of a lot of power and privilege in this room. This is not my identity, but I want you to know I attended this training, and this is really important. Or I sit on this advisory board for the LGBTQIA Resource Center or the Women's Center, and they've been talking about all this work, and their students are saying these things, and their you know their constituents are saying these things, and I think we really need to pay attention to that. So how do we equip? How are we creative in the ways that we invite those folks at the top into the spaces where they may not normally be? Mm-hmm. Yeah and equip them with what we need to sponsor us in spaces that we don't always have access to. Yeah. That's, that's so interesting. Like, I always think, so on the flip side, I am thinking, all right, if y'all decide to hire a black person, they need to have their stuff together. I don't want no raggedy, like, you got to come in here, you got to, like, represent us all well. You know what I mean? So it's like, okay, it's a numbers game, but then when you get here, then you really have to assimilate. Because if not, then, you know, great for places where inclusion or justice or, you know, whatever we're going to call it is in play and people are thinking about that. But for the two people that might end up this next year mm-hmm. then now you have two people so now you got all the black people trying to get at those yeah. two people mm-hmm. and they're trying to figure out their own like it's just so multi-layered yeah. and it feels like you know overwhelming mm-hmm. particularly if you've never had an opportunity to even sit in a space like that mm-hmm. yeah. yeah absolutely and I you know I, I I think to like both the point that you made Latrice and the question that you asked Rachel about representation which is that um, and I think Melanie touched on this by talking about, like, representation. Uh, what I hear from folks is, well, I didn't know anyone who fit X category to put them on this panel or to put them on this committee. Um, and I think that representation is something we should always be actively working towards. Um, and you're going to have times when you think, wow, I really don't have this group represented in this program I'm doing. And I've put everything out there. I've tried to make connections. I can't find anyone. What can we do instead? But we can't then just always just throw up our hands and say, I didn't know any queer people to put on this. I didn't know anyone with a disability to put in, you know, to include in this conversation. Um, it should be always something that we're, that we're striving towards. I know that, you know, a few years ago, for example, um, I put on a Trans Day of Remembrance event, um, which honors the lives of, uh, honors people who have lost their lives to anti-transgender violence in the last year. And um, trans women of color are disproportionately affected um, by violence in the U.S. I mean, make up the vast majority of trans people who are murdered in a, in a given year. And we were having trans students as speakers. Mm. And at the time, we only had one trans woman of color in our group, and she was not in a position to be one of our panelists or guest speakers. And so that was a time when I had to say, okay, you know, representation is not going to be possible, right? Um, I can't risk this woman's safety by putting her in front of a room full of people. And so sometimes that you know, you kind of have to make peace with it. Um, but we looked at what are other ways that we can make sure that we're bringing 
those voices into the conversation. Mm-hmm. And so in that um, in that program, we included um, trans women of color's YouTube videos as part of our presentation. So it can't just be, I don't know anyone who isn't, you know, a straight white cisgender man, so mm-hmm. they can't be part of our committee. It has to be, what are other ways that those voices, how can I be creative about getting those voices in place? Mm-hmm. And you have to go out and cultivate relationships. Mm-hmm. So for me, like, I actively, intentionally go out and seek relationships with folks on campus who might um, want to support the center by participating mm-hmm. in our programs. And I'm intentional about it, you know, without sort of tokenizing people and being like, oh, you know, I never look at something and go, oh, you know, we need a Latino person on this on this panel, <laughs> right? But it's because it should never be an afterthought. Mm-hmm. It should be yeah. part of the fabric. I can look around my community now and be like, I know several great contacts that could do this. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's no one on campus, I make connections with community partners and invite them in. Mm-hmm. Um, we live in Atlanta. There's people of every single identity right. you can think of. Right. There's no excuse to not have, you know, some expertise or representation in the program you're doing. All right, so can we take it down to, like, um, this mom? Macro micro? Micro. Micro level? Micro level. Okay. Like, for a, a manager mm-hmm. or a somebody that is leading a team not maybe these Mm -hmm. big diversity initiatives but you know what role do they have or do we have in this conversation like thinking about like a small team meeting or when Mm -hmm. you are you know trying to grow and develop people and Mm -hmm. how does this all play into that I think being aware um, of unconscious or implicit biases Mm -hmm. that you might have we all um throughout the course of our lives, absorb a lot of information, um, stereotypical information about people with certain identities. And we can try and unlearn some of that or try and check ourselves, but it's always with us, right? We always make assumptions about, you know, people in the room with particular racial identities, gender identities, you know, nationalities, like, you know, those, that baggage comes with us even when we don't want it to. Mm -hmm. Um, And recently, in the last uh, couple of years on campus, I know that um, Dr. Julie Ansis and Institute Diversity has been doing workshops on implicit bias for faculty. Right. So looking at faculty hiring. And using actual psychological research, because faculty want the data, mm-hmm. um, they don't believe you unless there's data, um, which is good, um, but, you know, takes in actual research, mm-hmm. um, peer-reviewed research that says, you know, if you receive a resume with this particular name on, you're less likely to hire it than somebody, than the resume that has this particular name on it. And so... I think that we have those implicit biases are very, very hard to check. But if we become aware of them by going through a training like that, by doing some reading online about implicit bias um, or unconscious bias, and really think about the ways in which, you know, do we ever, um, you know, if there's women in the department, do Mm -hmm. they somehow get left kind of doing the housework in the department? Mm -hmm. Are they expected to make copies for a meeting? They're always on the, like, sunshine committee, right? Right. Right. Yeah, Yeah. and those kinds of things. So really have, you know, when you're delegating work, um, when you're uh, listening to suggestions in a meeting, are you, you know, are are folks talking over one another? Who is not getting to speak Mm -hmm. up? Is somebody sitting there real quiet? And you know they have good ideas because they do good work, but they're not saying anything. Could you be actively inviting them into the conversation? Like, those are all kinds Mm of, um, like I said, practices that you have to engage in consciously all the time because otherwise those unconscious biases will just 
kind of take over and become a default setting for you. I think also, you know, thinking about as a manager, you know, as a, in a, in a, of a small team or even a big team, inviting folks to show up as their whole selves, right? So thinking about the ways in which class might show up in the workplace, right? Mm-hmm. Or thinking about the ways in which, like, if you take a coffee meeting, right, for somebody that socioeconomic status is something that is a really at the forefront of their identity, right? Like something that they're constantly thinking about, Um, you know, especially if they're working class poor, right? Um, Asking them to go to lunch or taking your team for lunch and not paying for that or... Or everyone chip in five bucks for this person's five dollars for the coffee and the, you know, for the Keurig maker or whatever. That can be a real stretch for somebody that automatically isolates them and makes them feel like they're not a part of the team. Um, Or also, you know, I mean, I think making sure that when you have somebody who's queer on your team asking about their partner Mm -hmm. and saying, how's your partner doing, right? Or um, how was vacation? Trying not to set them up with your roommate. Or trying to (laughs) and not you know thinking about the language you're using as a really practical tool um but i think you know just thinking about the everyday practices that allow somebody to come as their whole self um to work um can go a really long way in making folks feel like they're valued and respected and seen Mm-hmm. And um, leading by example, absolutely, yeah. kind of uh, creating this space, this this inclusive, equitable space, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and hopefully people would follow their leads. And we talked about what managers and leaders can do, but what if you are that person who constantly gets left out, mm-hmm. whose voice is not heard? You may have this great idea that you bring in a meeting, let's say, and your colleague, you know, Travis says something. He's like, oh, Travis, that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Rachel, why didn't you say that? That never happened, by the way. But it really is not easy. Right. And not even thinking about it from a um, strictly like what you look like or what you identify mm-hmm. as. It's mm-hmm. even the way in which you process information. I yeah. process, process information in a pretty specific way, mm-hmm. and I'm very keenly aware mm-hmm. of that, and I'm attracted to those mm-hmm. who process information in the way that I do because the the conversation is quicker, mm-hmm. I get to the results faster, and then there are literally other people on my current mm-hmm. team that do not process information in the way that I do. And I know that I have to work at mm-hmm. not being short with those people, not being um, you know, not including them and I have to go the extra mile to try mm-hmm. to do that and it feels exhausting mm-hmm. and I wonder is there a world or is mm-hmm. there ever a time when it it won't like mm-hmm. do you do you wake up and you now you're good at it mm-hmm. or like I don't know it's just always a struggle for me because I don't want it's not my intention mm-hmm. to do that my intention is to do great work mm-hmm. and um some people yeah. do better work than others it's just I think, well, <laughs> I think, well there's a truth to that right I yeah. think though that it's it's like if we go back to the way we started this conversation about pronouns right Asking somebody about their pronouns or introducing yourself with your pronouns might feel awkward and clumsy and a little bit cumbersome when you first start to do it. But if it becomes something that you do routinely and regularly, it doesn't feel that way anymore. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel as awkward to maybe be the only person in the room who introduces yourself that way. And you can you feel more confident in being able to say, 
this is why I'm doing this, right? And so I think anything that becomes habit, right? Anything that becomes you gotta do it 21 times. Yeah, you gotta do it 21 times or like to retain information, right? You gotta say it three times in three different ways for somebody to understand you or hear you. And so, I mean, I think, yeah, it takes practice. And, it, and, and we are by nature creatures of habit, right? And so, breaking a habit that we have can be even harder than forming a habit, right? Yeah. So, how do you. I mean, I think it's an oversimplification of yeah. it, but it's kind of well, the crux of it. Yeah, and I, you know, and Rachel's real question, like, what if you were that person? Right. You know, yeah. I think um, it's difficult because we know that there is a cost mm-hmm. to speaking up in the workplace if you have certain kinds of identities. Absolutely. There have been times when, mm-hmm. like, I have chosen, you know, not to advocate for myself because I knew that it wouldn't serve me professionally. Um, one thing that I feel passionate about and if you come to a safe space training, you'll learn a lot about what does it mean to practice allyship, right? And it let's focus on the LGBT community. I think it applies to anyone, right. which is that if you're in a position of privilege, mm-hmm. it's your responsibility to advocate for people who don't have that kind mm-hmm. of privilege. So for me, um, there are certain kinds of privilege I don't have. Like, I am a mm-hmm. queer woman. Um, I'm a woman, <laughs> you know, and so on and so forth. Um, but... You know, I am white. Um, I'm, you know, I have other kind of privileged identities, like English is my first language, and all of these other things that, that make up who I am. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Um, that, you know, there have been times when I have advocated. I've been in a meeting that was about diversity initiatives, and there was no mention of disability. And I was the, you know, the squeaky wheel again. I'm usually the squeaky wheel in that particular meeting space. Um, where I said, what about disability? And I was told, well, there's an ADA plan in place. And I said, no. What about disability as an identity and as a social justice issue? And I keep pushing it um, with this same group. Um, because I feel that's my responsibility to say, like, there could be somebody in this room with a disability that feels like, well, I don't want to speak up because I don't want to be people to think we have to do all this work for me, right? Mm-hmm. That I'm a problem, that I have this identity that needs work. Mm-hmm. So it's my job to be like, you know, if a person in the room doesn't feel um, empowered to speak up and mm-hmm. I have the privilege to do so, like, it's my job to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's something we really try and press on, on, upon people in safe space training is that practicing allyship is... Um, process and a goal. It's a process and a goal. And it's something where you should be prepared to be a bit uncomfortable, mm-hmm. right? I've been the one that caused the really awkward silence at a dinner party, tumbleweeds drifting across the table <laughs> because I was like, that's not okay, right? And so, um, and I, I don't have a problem with being the awkward silence causer. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And, but it took me a long time to get to that point. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, there are times now when I will be like, I'll come out of a meeting and go, I can't believe I didn't speak up. I really should have called them on that. I really should have said something. I should have spoken up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And you can't, you can't be on all the time, but I think my goal is to always try where possible and, right. and speak up and advocate for those. So people. for both individuals, uh, both for those who lead people, right, mm-hmm. and those who may feel that they don't have a space, a safe mm-hmm. space in that room, hopefully Georgia Tech offers some sort of resources, for, for both I think, leaders I mean, and for those people. Right? Yeah, I mean, so I think mm-hmm. Abby talks a little bit about, you know, the unconscious bias training. That, mm-hmm. um, Which is only open to faculty right now, right? Right. Oh, so yeah. there's room for okay. 
workplace learning and professional development, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are, like, if you are part of, um, a, you know, under a premium group on campus, mm-hmm. we do have a number of um, employee resource groups that are run out of Institute Diversity. So there's Women of Georgia Tech. There's Ola, which is for Hispanic and Latinx folks. Mm-hmm. There's Grio, which is mm-hmm. for black and African-American folks. Uh, and there's the Pride ERG, which is mm-hmm. for LGBTQIA folks. So those are good opportunities to go build community, um, meet other folks who share your identity. Um, and those groups have different functions. So they're professional development. They're about celebrating a particular community's mm-hmm. culture or heritage. Um, so those are good ways to kind of go be with like-minded <laughs> folks. Um, community, if you're feeling like you don't have community in your team. Um, you keep mentioning safe space. Yeah, so Safe Space is a a four-hour training that my office offers that equips people with the language and skills that they need to practice allyship in the workplace to LGBT folks. Mm -hmm. Um, And it applies for whether you work with students or employees as well. Mm -hmm. Um, It's open to faculty and staff. Um, And, you know, and some people are like, four hours, that's such a long chunk of time. But what we Mm -hmm. always hear from folks who have gone through it is, Mm -hmm. that went so fast, we needed it more, can you make it a whole day? (laughs) And this fall, we're actually launching um, a semester-long course. It'll meet five times. Um, It's going to be called Level Up, and it's an advanced allyship program for people Mm -hmm. who went through Safe Space and thought it was great, but are ready to really dig into difficult conversations about power, privilege, oppression, and social justice. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... You know, you'll see there. This work is being done in different pockets on campus. Mm-hmm. The Diversity and Inclusion Fellows Program mm-hmm. by Institute Diversity has a number of initiatives happening on campus, um, and we're seeing these um, diversity and inclusion councils being mm-hmm. formed for each school or college. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm hoping that those will have some teeth. Um, mm-hmm. They won't just be a committee of how can we raise our numbers, but we're going to be committed to institutional change. Kind of changing that rhetoric to to cause the institutional transformation. I I haven't been asked to be on one yet, and I'm just waiting for that. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes you just have to show up, right? Knock on the door, just bring a bottle of water. I've inserted myself in a lot of conversations on campus. Sometimes you elbow your way into the room. I think y'all have a couple of things coming down the pipeline. (laughs) Y'all have some things coming down the pipeline that you may or may not be ready to announce, but I think that could you know feed into this as well in addition to the things that Abby has talked about and when I think about you know just a practice that we can think about for especially for our colleagues who we may notice who aren't being heard in a room right I think Mm -hmm. about an article I read um towards the end of President Obama's presidency where um the women um who sat around in the leadership Mm -hmm. um socially affirmed one another in those spaces, right, to make sure that they were heard. And this this idea of shine theory, right, and that Latrice gives an idea and nobody here, nobody, like, hears Latrice say it, or not nobody hears Latrice say it. I hear Latrice say it, Mm -hmm. and other people at the table hear Latrice say it, but nobody acknowledges it. Mm -hmm. And so then I say, you know, what Latrice said about blah, 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 I think that was really, really great. And then Rachel says, yes, what Latrice said was this. And then Abby says, yes, what Latrice says. And then finally somebody says, Latrice, you had a great idea. I think having one another's back and intervening in the moment in a way that maybe sometimes leans into the elephant in the room that right. says, like, you're not paying attention to this very valid thing this person is saying or doing. I'm going to call it to attention. Um, can be really powerful, as you know, either with people who share an identity or people who don't, but who can recognize that maybe somebody's not being heard because of perhaps an unconscious bias or right. a conscious one. What about for leaders, managers and leaders, Latrice? What about? Yeah, what would you recommend? 
I, I know there are lots of things mm-hmm. that come out of the Office of Diversity yes. and Inclusion. Mm-hmm. Institute of Diversity. Institute Diversity, yeah. yeah. Oh, we have the genera- first generations. Yeah, we do I have think. first generations. That's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I tend to, like, want experts to be in that space. Mm-hmm. So, you know? Yeah, and I think I really appreciate mm-hmm. that you said that because I think something that um, mm-hmm. Millie and I talk about quite a lot is that um, <laughs> Millie and I do have particular expertise in terms of education and, and training um, in a lot of these issues, right? We both mm-hmm. have advanced degrees in women's gender and sexuality studies. We've both done, you know, pretty extensive training in social justice and racial justice. Um, And often, you know, I'll hear of initiatives going on on campus where, eh, you know, you're kind of missing the mark. Um, And, you know, so I always try and let folks know, hey, I have expertise in this. Like, do you need me to take a look? Not that I'm trying to button people's programs, but, um, you know, we have people on this campus with Mm -hmm. real expertise in these things, and we use this as a resource. Mm -hmm. That's what we, you know, and that's what we like to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, right now I'm working with some transgender employees in some different departments who are transitioning at work, Mm -hmm. and I've been asked to go in and help um, manage their transition plans with HR. And so to be able to partner mm-hmm. with HR professionals in navigating that situation in the workplace mm-hmm. um, is a great partnership for me because mm-hmm. um, I'm able to help them learn yeah. something. Mm-hmm. They've got skills, so now the next transgender employee that comes to them, they're like, I've got this, yeah. you know? And so, you know, use the resources on campus, dr- draw on the expertise that's here because there are so many people on campus right. who do this work, mm-hmm. who know this work in the division of student life. Mm-hmm. There are many of us who are yeah. social justice education professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and we love the opportunity to come consult to, you know, lend some expertise mm-hmm. there. The same goes for workplace learning professional development. Mm-hmm. We're being experts in adult learning. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So imagine if we put our skills together and our brains together, right? What? Boom. Yeah, an explosive transformation, I think. Yeah, right. So we will be talking about this forever. Yeah. We've talked about it a long time. For those of you that have hung in here with us, <laughs> kudos to you. We'll edit this. <laughs> Maybe. Um, I think the, the, the key takeaway that I have heard is to really be open to asking questions Mm -hmm. and to be open to the spaces in me, myself, personally where Mm -hmm. I'm ignorant and don't know Mm -hmm. and don't feel like I have to know everything, but there are resources on campus that can help me in those areas. Mm -hmm. The second thing that I also took away is really to be, if you have a place of privilege, to use that to be mm-hmm. an advocate for someone else. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I thank you ladies for providing something for me to think about. Well, thank you. Thank you so much yeah, for having Yeah, thank you for having us. This yeah. is fun. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime you want to talk about this, I mean, I will. You've been interrupted. You've been interrupted. Do not adjust your radio dial. <laughs> <laughs> whatever, whatever you list, whatever device you're listening on, don't worry, you just got interrupted. You bam. <laughs> Drop the mic and we're out. <laughs> <laughs>